Hello once again to the Nefesh Podcast. This is episode 27. Glad you are here listening. You know, I love almost always going to say all things British, but that's not quite true. But I am what you would call an Anglophile. Uh, I love British history. I love, uh, you know, interesting things about the United Kingdom. Um, I, I had the opportunity to go there years ago on a missions trip and and just realized how much in love I, I am with the United Kingdom and, and all things Britain. Both sides of my family are said to go back to some type of British uh, connection on my on my mom's side. Um, got several British sounding last names and um, possibly going back to somebody in like the court of of one of the kings and then on my dad's side possibly somebody coming coming over um on one of the you know like the mayflower early pilgrims and so um i've got some british roots in there i don't know if that's why i love the united kingdom great britain or um it, i think i mentioned before that queen elizabeth ii who passed away just a few months ago she always reminded me of my grandmother uh, just looked like her and and even my mom kind of um, resembled her when she was younger uh, resembled Queen Elizabeth II so I think I think there's something that kind of was passed on from especially my mom's side that just loves loves the the British stuff and as unique as as they are and as uh, interesting as they are um, and so I've been, especially lately, I've been trying to stay up with some of the the stuff going on, particularly as it relates to the royals, because of course, um, the royalty is always something that fascinates us, especially if you're here in America. I mean, we don't really, we, you know, if you were born and raised in America, the idea of royalty and kings and queens uh, was something that we threw off almost, uh, what, 250 years ago. And uh, the idea that, you know, it's just not, it's something that is really foreign to us. And so, um, and, you know, you've got all these fairy, fairy tales about prince and princesses and kings and queens. I can honestly say that I don't think I've ever wanted to be a princess or a queen. You can have that job. That's, that just looks like a lot of work for not a lot of, you know, what can you get out of it other than, getting to go see some cool places, but man, is it so much work. And uh, I don't know that I'd be able to put up with all the stuff that they have to put up with. But um, I've been, especially recently, I watched uh, the Netflix documentary about Prince Harry and, and Meghan, his wife. And then I recently purchased and am reading his biography. When they decided to separate separate from the the British royal family for those of you who aren't following just just hang or aren't following that whole saga just kind of hang with me I'll give you the I'll give you the lowdown um but three years ago right before COVID started in January of 2020 they Prince Harry who is the son now of King Charles III the the monarch in Great Britain um and Prince Harry is the youngest of the two, and so is what they would call in uh, Great Britain the spare, so to speak. So you've got the heir, which is William, the oldest, and then you've got Harry the spare. So if something happens to William, you still have a spare. You know, you got then another kid that you can 
you know, throw the monarchy to so that it continues in its succession. Um, so he and his wife, Megan, previously Megan Markle, who was an American TV actress. In fact, I watched her, I, I, when they were getting together, I was like, oh, I recognize her from uh, an older TV show called Fringe, one of my absolute still all-time favorite. And she was on that show for just a couple of episodes. And I thought, oh, she's really cool. So he marries this American TV actress who is biracial and divorced. I mean, all of those things combined is like weird for British royalty. And uh, but they were having a really difficult time being bombarded by pa paparazzi, you know, according to according to them, and just really, it was it was really having a detrimental effect on their lives, and so they stepped back. It was a huge announcement, and again, it was one that I remember hearing about and reading about, but it was, so much was going on at that time for me, and then within just a couple of months, we were into COVID, and so all of that stuff faded to the background, um, but what comes out of that and what comes out of it, the documentary, what comes out of that, you know, infamous uh, interview with Oprah a couple of years ago is the idea that this couple, this royal couple, and in Great Britain, the temperament is very much very, um, they have a sense of humor, but it's probably a sarcastic and rough sense of humor, but really everything is stoic and you don't show emotions. I mean, that's, this is very stereotypical, right? That's a stereotype, but, um, but that's typical, uh, that's kind of what you see. And so the idea that this prince is unloading all of his dirt, so to speak, and his family's dirt in this biography, and then in the documentary and in the interview a couple years ago that he's, um, so frustrated and he, he feels like, um, the palace and his family really are not, uh, essentially are choosing the monarchy over him. They're not trying to protect him because he's just the spare. He's just the youngest kid. He really doesn't have a role. And there's, you know, some truth to that. Doesn't really have a role in other than just kind of other royal duties. Um, but you know, so he feels like he wasn't protected and his wife wasn't protected. And, um, and so it, it became this big thing. And so now he comes out with his biography. I remember thinking at the time, way back in January of 2020, I remember thinking, you know, they've only been married a couple years. She's only been in the Royal spotlight, the world spotlight for a couple years prior to that, you know, maybe she's just kind of, you know, they're just complaining a little bit and they need to, they need to uh, tough it out. Like, what, what's the big deal, really? Um, the big deal, when you, if you've been following and if you're old enough to remember, was in August, late August of 1997, his mom, Prince Harry's mom, Princess Diana, one of the most iconic princesses, you know, in history, goes right up there with Princess Grace Kelly and... Um, it probably, probably even outshines her. I mean, she is one of the most well-known royals ever. She was killed in a tragic, horrific, violent car crash with her then boyfriend, being chased by paparazzi in a, in Paris in a tunnel, and they were going 65 miles an hour in this tunnel, and the driver lost control. It's, it's kind of up for debate whether or not the paparazzi really got in the way. And well, they were, 
in my opinion, certainly complicit in their hounding her. She, they were trying to get away. Um, there were a lot of mistakes there. I think the driver was said to be uh, some under the influence of something. And um, But, I mean, she was killed it, almost instantly. Within a couple hours, they took her to the hospital, and she, she died. Harry, Prince Harry, was 12 at the time. His mother was one of the most well-known people in the world. Photographs of her were, I mean, to get the... You could get so much money if you got a photograph of her, a snapshot of her, especially one that nobody else had. She was one of the most photographed women in the world. Most well-known, and again, royalty. And at the age of 12, his mother is violently ripped from him. In an already difficult situation, his parents were divorced and their, their marriage had gone you know, global and worldwide, and there was so much just drama around it and around him and his extramarital affairs, Prince Harry's dad and, and her, and it was just a mess. And, and then you're growing up in the spotlight, unlike anybody else. So I, I think, again, a comparison would be in, in the United States of America, we are uh, president if they have kids, so remember back when we had a couple of young kids in the White House, President Barack Obama and their two, his wife and their two daughters. Growing up in the spotlight is pretty hard to do, but that was just eight years. And beyond that, because we as humans have such a short attention span, especially today, you know, we go on to the next thing, the next president or the next president's kids. Um, you know, Trump's kids were, were all over uh, the news. I think they were old enough to like it and wanted it at that point. I don't know about the youngest, but um, it's, that is a rough, that's a rough thing. And it's real in that um, not only is it a danger, potentially everybody knows you could be uh, kidnapped and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that, but it's, it's so high profile. It's such an intense scrutiny. Well, imagine that you're in that type of under the microscope, under that scrutiny, all of your life, it never goes away. For the royal family, it never goes away. They're always under guard, always under, um, you know, think secret service and think about it in kind of as it relates to what it would look like in Great Britain. I mean, that's their life. For a 12-year-old boy who who doesn't even look like them. He's got red hair. I, I think that's interesting. And he mentions that several times in his book, um, you know, being this ginger, as, as he calls himself, um, and as others may refer to themselves or others with red hair, that, that that is an unusual trait. And so he stands out from the others. He's the youngest. He's not the smartest or claims not to be the smartest. And at 12, his mother is ripped from him. And then you fast forward to January 2020 and you hear about some of the stuff that was taking place, some of the threats. And if you know at, a, at, at 12 and you're processing through that most of your life, he suffered no doubt PTSD, not just from that, but he also went to war, served in Afghanistan. Within that situation, you know the paparazzi hounded your mom and made her last few years miserable and you're starting to see something like that happen almost like on repeat to your wife and 
to then your child as she uh, she was pregnant and they had a son before they decided to step away. And the fear, the fear that must have gripped his life, the fear that must have come to that conclusion to say, being a royal in Great Britain is just not worth it. At least for him and his life and, and his wife and his son and his soon-to-be daughter. Imagine what it would be like to say, especially if you feel like you're not getting the support of your family. Imagine what that would, you would have to come to a, a point. It had to have been such an extreme decision that he felt like it was better to leave and, and not knowing what would happen because you were so afraid for your life and your family that you would give that up and they did and so they wrote a biography he wrote a biography she's going to write her biography they did a documentary series they're going to do other films that essentially that's to um pay the bills so to speak i mean they're getting a lot of money a hundred million dollars for a netflix documentary that's you know that's a lot of money that's a lot of money to pay a lot of bills but um, in that lifestyle, and especially if you've got to pr pay for your own um, guard and security as really a top priority, that that's a whole other layer, right? But they gave up all money uh, other than his inheritance from his mom, Princess Diana, gave up all royal money. And they said they were willing to let that go for some sense of control and sense of security, for their lives. And again, you can almost draw a straight line from that event in 1997 to that decision in January of 2020. What, and I haven't finished his biography yet, but what stands out to me so vividly in his book is his sense of not feeling seen or heard or understood and obviously there's two sides to every story there's fault that goes around he made a lot of stupid mistakes but it's the fact that he felt that way and it's clear that he felt that way and these memories that are in his life that he felt that way all his life even I mean, I remember, I remember reading those stories about him after he was born um, that he didn't even look like anybody really. And so maybe he was um, the, the son of this captain, I think James, Major, or Major James Hewitt or something, who had dated Princess Diana briefly, uh, I think had dated her and had red hair. And so they're like, oh, it's, you know, he doesn't even, he's not even a, a royal in that sense. He's not even Prince Charles' son. Uh, now King Charles. And so he even hears that rumor and whether, you know, he kind of dismisses it, but that's something that's part of his, his upbringing. And so what I hear and see throughout this, this biography so far is just this desperate need to be seen and heard and understood. You know, our stories are so important.
I love reading biographies. There is nothing that hooks me more than hearing somebody's story. Hearing it, reading it, watching it. I think that's one of the reasons I love history so much. Is I love just to hear people share their story. And it could be a small story, a glimpse into their life, or it could be their life story. And especially as I read people's life story or as I hear their life story, I can see these themes that come together and that help me to understand who they are. In fact, if there's somebody that I really struggle to like, it's not a lot of people, but, you know, every once in a while, they just kind of, you know, they're, they're not my, my, what would we say, cup of tea. They, they take a little, a lot of grace required. We all do, but there are certain people in our lives, we all have them, that we may struggle to understand and may struggle to have grace for. When I hear their story, it changes everything. When I hear what they've experienced in their life, when I hear them share about difficult experiences or even good experiences, but, but when they are real and genuine and share their life experiences, uh, it changes everything for me. I mean, it may still, I may still struggle to fully, you know, uh, uh, give them grace and like them and want to spend 24 hours a day with them. Uh, but it, it absolutely pulls me in and allows me to have a whole lot more grace and understanding and patience than I would prior. Our stories matter. Our stories are important. Our stories were meant to be shared and they were meant to be heard. You know, we see this importance on our story in the book of Acts with Saul, who becomes known as Paul, which is just the Greek version of, of Saul. His story, his conversion story to Christ is shared three times. It's shared first as he's experiencing it in Acts chapter 9, as he goes through this major experience of falling to the ground, a light shining from heaven, being blind, hearing a voice, Jesus telling him, um, you know, that he's persecuting him and, and Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and he's so just overcome by this, he's brought into the city blind and he doesn't eat or drink, uh, or at least eat, he doesn't eat, I think, uh, at the very least, for three days, and he's praying, and he's waiting for somebody to come and really tell him what to do. I mean, prior to this, Saul is on his way to Damascus to go and round up Christians and kill them. Saul was a devout Jew, a devout religious Pharisee who thought Christians were blaspheming 
God. And it wasn't until this moment, this experience with Jesus, that his life was completely changed and he becomes the Gentile, the, the, uh, the missionary to the Gentiles to take the gospel, the good news to non-Jews. Well, that whole story in Acts 9 is super important. But if you're reading the, the, the Gospel of Acts and even hearing it back in the, those days as it would have been done, it, uh, the gospel, or uh, not the Gospel of Acts, but the Book of Acts, the, the letters and the books back then would have been read together when you came together. And uh, you would be hearing it. And they would, you know, read the whole thing or maybe uh, uh, divide it up if it was bigger. But you got the whole thing. And, and in Acts, Paul's conversion story is mentioned three times. And not just mentioned, it's described three times. So picture this. You've already got the full story in Acts 9 of what happens. Luke, who is believed to be the writer of Acts, he lays it out in very careful detail. But then, as Paul retells the story in Acts 22, in Luke could have just said, and Paul shared the story of how he had been converted on his way to Damascus. Because he's already shared it in Acts 9. So it would be like me sharing again that whole story and that whole storyline of Prince Harry two more times in this podcast. Don't worry, I won't. But it would be like me doing that. And maybe just emphasizing a few different things as I told it again. And then as I told it again. Luke could have just, just said, hey, Paul told his story in front of these people. He didn't. He wrote about he wrote what Paul shared. He shared the story again. And then he does it again in Acts chapter 26. Paul is speaking before these, these powerful leaders and he recounts again. And I'm sure Paul has already done this probably hundreds of times. But Luke chooses these two times to, to describe Paul sharing the story. And he doesn't, again, he doesn't say, and Luke shared his story. He actually writes and records what Paul said about his story. Now there's slight differences, not changes, but almost emphasis. And so Luke could be emphasizing different things in each version but again, it's the same story. Do you ever have family members who tell the same story when they get together? The same story? Like, I've heard that story a thousand times. Pastors are really notorious for this. Um, I have to preface, whenever I'm teaching or preaching, I always have to preface this by saying, I think I've shared this before. I'm not sure. I'm going to share it again. If you liked it the first time, you know, get ready because here it comes again. Uh, I mean, it's the same story. And I know that every time I tell a story, it's, it's going to be different. And I know that every time I tell my story, it's going to be different. 
partly because I may be at a different place. And so maybe seeing something differently, especially if it's about my story or uh, uh, stories or things that have happened to me, I might emphasize something different, might see something, I might add something to it that I hadn't before, I hadn't thought of before. But it's the same story. Well, there is something significant that scholars believe about the number three. Jesus was, was in the grave for three days before he rose again. He rose again on the third day. Jonah was in uh, the belly of a fish or a whale for three days. In fact, Jesus even re references Jonah when he talks about this kind of rising again three days. The, the Godhead, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Peter denies Christ three times. When asked if he knows who Jesus is the, on the night that Jesus was arrested and beaten, people are asking Peter, in the, in the hearing of Jesus, Jesus is right there, hey, don't you know this, know this guy? And Peter's saying, no way. He doesn't, want to be, he doesn't want to be arrested too. And he denies him three times. And then in a scene of reconciliation and restoration, Jesus, in the book of John, John chapter 21, as Jesus is gathering with his disciples in one of the last few times, there is Peter. And he focuses on Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, Jesus, I do. I do like, I do, I do like you. I do really, 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 really like you. And Jesus says, okay, but feed my sheep. And then he comes again and says, Peter, do you, do you really love me? And Peter says, you know, Jesus, I, I have great affection for you and great affinity for you. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I consider you like a brother. Jesus says, okay, but I really need you to take care of my sheep. And then finally, Jesus asks him one more time, Peter do you love me? And that love word there in the Greek is agape. And it is the unconditional love that Jesus displayed to all humanity when he gave up his life for humanity. Peter, do you unconditionally love me? There are several words, and you probably already know this, are several words for love in Greek, and Peter is not using really the agape love. We don't have, we have one word, love. Um, and so we, it's hard for us to understand that. But there's brotherly love, there's erotic love. I don't think Peter used, <laughs> used that term. But, I, you know, he's, he's using other forms of love. So it's just stronger than like. But it's not the agape. Do you... Do you unconditionally love me, Peter? And it's like he's breaking people, breaking Peter down. Peter, do you unconditionally love me? Jesus, 
I do love you. He asks him three times, and again, there seems to be a significance to that asking three times, to the acknowledging of the betrayal three times. And the, the number three seems to reflect in biblical understanding a type of death and new life. Paul's conversion is repeated three times in the book of Acts as it reflects Paul's death to his old life and his old way of thinking about God and new life, understanding Jesus as the Messiah, as God. Our stories are meant to be told. They are meant to be shared. It is good for our soul to share our stories and to be heard. And one of the things that I used to love the most was when my older brothers and sisters, they were, some of them are, are as much as 17, 18 years older than I am. I used to love when they would come around when I was a kid. They were my favorites. Uh, I, you know, I, especially as a young kid, I, my, um, not quite heroes, I don't think, you know, not in a negative way, but they were just my favorite people, all, all of them. I mean, some of them more than others, but all of them, when they would come around, the five of them, the five of them older ones, older than the younger ones. You know, they had other lives. They, one got married and, um, you know, one had a couple, had a couple kids. And, but they, they were just, they were out of the house. It was five of us at home and, and the other five gone. And when they would come around, I just loved being with them and I loved hearing their stories. And I loved hearing their stories that they would tell about themselves. And I loved hearing their stories that they would tell about me and others. And I loved the connection that was there. I felt so close to them just hearing their stories and connecting with them. It is good for our souls to share our story and for our stories to be heard. There is something healing. There is something forming. There is something that changes. There is a growth process that we experience. And this is one of the reasons why in this podcast, I am so intent to bring on as many people as I can to hear their stories. Some funny, some tragic, some painful, some just moving. Everyone enlightening. Every single one. Do I learn something and feel connected to them? And do I then see myself in a different way in comparison? 
We are each other's mirrors. You help me to see what I can't see about myself. And hopefully I do the same for you. And when we share our stories, something takes place inside of us and something takes place inside of others who hear and receive it. Now, our stories need to be held and cared for. So when you're listening to people's stories, you know, make it look like you're interested. Keep eye contact. Don't look at your phone. Even if it's your youngest kid who's, who's repeating the same thing over and over again, pay attention to them. Hear them. Let their, let their story be held by you as the sacredness that it is. It is their life. And... There are some stories we can't share fully or share fully to everybody. Um, I, reading Prince Harry's biography, I think, uh, you know, that might be, you might want to rethink that one Prince has. Uh, I think that one may not go over well. But I understand the desire to get it all out. I understand that what he's doing with his book is he wants to be heard. He wants to be seen. He wants to be understood. You say, this guy is seen everywhere. I see him on every magazine. He's on all the news. He's talking about his book. Won't he ever stop talking about it? I saw so many you know, reviews that were a little harsh, kind of like, you know, he's, he's sharing everything. He really doesn't need to anymore. Um, I get it, though. He's never felt seen. He may be physically seen, but is he really seen for who he is? I want to encourage you to begin writing down your story or talking about your story, or starting a podcast and sharing your story. Begin writing it down. Begin making notes for your kids. Begin sharing, begin writing a journal so that they have something of you when you are gone. Make a video, whatever it is, share your story. It is cathartic, it is healing. And it is absolutely vital to our spiritual formation process. Take time every day to share a little bit about it. Whether it's to journal it, to do a video blog, to um, whatever it is. Share your story. Share it appropriately, but share your story. And allow us to see, not, not the fluff, not the stuff you want us to see, but the stuff that, that's really you deep down. I would love to hear your story. And you can share that with me directly, thenefeshpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear your story and read about you and your life. Well, thank you for listening once again. This has been episode 27 of the Nefesh podcast. I am thankful for you. And 
how this may be ministering to your soul. And we'd love to hear how it is ministering to your soul. And we will talk to you next time.